I'm Baker Black, your guide through these unsettling encounters. This is Unwelcome Shadows, Episode 3, where we explore stalker-centric, viewer-submitted tales that are unsettling and spine-tingling. Share your stories at unwelcomeshadows at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on the show. I posted about my stalker on Reddit, and he found it. By Upset Zucchini 6687 Quick backstory. I've had a stalker for about four years. He was never aggressive or sent me any proper threats. So, stubborn as I am, I did my best to ignore him and not give him the satisfaction of showing him any fear. To be honest, after a while, I also wasn't scared anymore since he almost never came close to me. I know being stalked can affect people severely even in a case like mine, and that's totally valid. I guess I was never really affected by it. His stalking behavior mostly just consisted of sending me letters and gifts, such as photos of my own apartment building from the outside, things he dug out of my trash can, and so on. I called the police many times, but they weren't able, or really tried, to be honest, to catch or identify him. About three weeks ago, I discovered the German version of r slash MIA and thought that people might want to know about what it's like to have a soccer. Since I barely use social media aside from Reddit and have no personally identifying information on here, I didn't think he'd ever see it. One person even asked, does he know you're putting him on blast on Reddit? And I answered, maybe. Maybe it would make him angry. Maybe he'd be turned on. Don't know. Don't care. Well, I now know the real answer. He did see it, and he did not like it. Like I said, he was never aggressive and never came close to me. The closest I know of was when he sent me a picture of myself unlocking my apartment door taken from the corner of the steps above. Sorry if that doesn't make sense. I don't know how else to explain it. But I consider myself a pretty vigilant person, and I'm thinking that he might have hit a camera there instead of being there to take the photo himself. I think I would have noticed him if he did. I don't know how he got wind of the AMA, but he did. And the next week was quiet, no letters, and I didn't see him anywhere. Then he left me letters with printed out questions and my answers from the AMA. He also left me a long, hateful letter towards my boyfriend about an issue I had posted on the German version of Am I the Asshole? His letters were never hateful like that before, though he never seemed happy with my boyfriend. He wrote about how I should share the spotlight with him since I got so much attention thanks to him. A few days later, I got a gift. But this time, he didn't leave it in my mailbox or at my car like he usually did. No, this time, he left it inside my apartment building right next to my front door. I didn't take it inside my apartment, but I opened it outside. It was a pretty big box, which was also unusual, and it was taped shut. As I'm typing it out, I realize that wasn't a good idea at all and could have ended badly for me, but luckily, he didn't send me a bomb or anything. He did, however, send me these items. Several zip ties, a roll of tape, the kind you use to tape off walls when painting, nothing you could really use to restrain somebody, a TV remote with most of the buttons picked off, a pack of band-aids with a few used ones, not actually used, just made to look like that way according to the police, and a framed picture of me. I could tell that the picture was taken a few days ago, and my boyfriend was next to me 
but cut out of the photo. The frame was shattered and the package was full of glass shards, clearly more than just what could have fallen out of the frame, and they were also intentionally put inside the crumpled newspaper that was stuffed in there to keep it all in place. I called the police right away and gave it to them. They were more concerned this time, finally, thanks, and told me they'd send patrol cars more frequently. He didn't show up or leave me any letters slash gifts for about another week and a half. But eight days ago, it started again. I found letters in my mailbox where he wrote about how he wasted his time on me, how I haven't been appreciating his effort, how he was even wrong about me being special. Five days ago, I left my apartment in the morning and heard a crunch sound as I stepped on my doormat. He put broken glass under it in the night. I went off to work because I was in a hurry and was just going to make my boyfriend call the police, but then I found my car had also been vandalized. The sides were scratched, lights were smashed, and the windshield had a phrase painted on it. It's time soon, miss my last name. I went back inside and called the cops myself. They found the same phrase on a note under the doormat. This time, they really, really, really took me seriously, which might have been because I was just pissed at this point, which I made very clear. If, for some reason, you're like me, and you're just too stubborn to be afraid of a stalker like mine, then all of this, the letters, the gifts, the photos, even the damn glass under my doormat, are all really just annoying and inconvenient. But my car was useless to me now, and the threat scared me. I did, however, have a dash cam in my car, and it caught everything. The police had took the footage as evidence, even though the dash cam footage wasn't of high quality, and I had given them photos of him that were just as good before, but they said it's not enough. And they told me they would look into it further and promise to send more patrol cars around. Then it was quiet for two more days. Until two days ago. Someone rang the doorbell just after 4 a.m. My boyfriend and I got up, but we were both hesitant, but I saw blue lights outside, and just as I got up, I heard them shouting, This is the police. Please open the door. They told us they were called by one of our downstairs neighbors, who came home from his night shift about an hour earlier and heard someone else enter the building after them before they shut the door. My neighbors knew of my situation, and I've asked to make sure that they don't let strangers into the building. This neighbor then went into his own apartment and looked through the peephole. We have motion-activated lights in the stairway, so he waited to see if they turned back on. They did. Then he saw a middle-aged man walk upstairs. Above this neighbor are only me and my boyfriend, and a single mom with three kids who probably won't be having any visitors at 3 a.m., so he called the police. They came and found my stalker one and a half floor above me on the stairs. He should have been able to see the cops since there was a little window up there and they had their lights on, but he either missed them or he wanted to get caught. They found a pocket knife on him and he confessed to being my stalker right away. He's finally caught. They got him. It took four years, a provocative Reddit post, and one very vigilant and caring neighbor. But he's finally done. For now, at least. He's facing several charges and I've collected every single piece of evidence over the past four years. I don't know what kind of outcome I can expect, but for now, I finally got some peace. Myself, the escort, and my former client, the stalker, by My Kinda Sexy Throwaway.
I need to vent about a situation I'm currently dealing with. My stalker. Fridge guy. I'm a GFES court, which stands for Girlfriend Experience. A GFE is a booking where the escort brings more intimacy and a more genuine, easygoing feeling to the appointment. We did not have a lot in common, but I found mental health struggles and politics were something we could bond over. Last June, he booked his first appointment with me. Since then, he has seen me 14 times, usually around once a month, in one-hour increments. He expressed interest in seeing me outside of work, and I declined. Over the past year, he gradually escalated in terms of offers to help me outside of work. I didn't want the help, as I didn't want to encourage the strings that would be attached to it. He also started writing me letters that he'd given me at the end of each session. I never returned this gesture. He also brought a few odd gifts, but nothing that I would have wanted or asked for. A couple times this was annoying, as I had then had to figure out what to do with them, aka a large crate of cat food that my cat can't eat, but that I had but that I had to haul home from work anyways. I was already thinking that I might need to end our interactions due to him getting too loose, but things really started going poorly when he lost his job in May. In the following weeks, he expressed to me that he thought there was a conspiracy to get him fired, as well as a conspiracy to sabotage his interviews at other companies. I also pointed out to him that maybe he should stop seeing me until he got another income source. At this point, I was feeling very uncomfortable being the locus of his happiness, especially if that was going to start making the rest of his life worse, which would then amplify that issue. He also kept coming to me at work while he was sick, like four times in a row, dick move, and I ended up getting sick. This seems minor, but it was a red flag that his desires trumped my need for safety and health. Things came to a head when he brought a goddamn refrigerator to my work. As you can expect, because of the legality of my work, it is essential to be discreet and inconspicuous. Bringing a fridge to the parking area outside my work is the opposite of either of those. I told him I can't accept it and listed off that I had no means of transporting it home or to my mother. Her fridge was broken, and I had mentioned that. His response was that he could drive it to my house or we could take a road trip to take it to her. This was alarming, as I have never done anything to make him think that this was something that could happen, and had specifically made sure to disabuse him of any ideas like this as they came up in the past. At this point, I had decided to ban him because he was clearly out of touch with reality and was imposing his fantasy on me to be a dangerous level before I emailed him to end things. He also sent me an email offering me his credit card info so that I could buy the fridge online since I couldn't take it in person. At the end of June, I sent him an email gently trying to break things off and actually recommended that he speak to his therapist and see if his meds needed adjusting since I know FRX can cause symptoms of schizophrenia like his paranoia. I also suggested that he delve into how inappropriate and dangerous it was to offer his credit card info to someone he pays to pretend to care about him. This is when the shit hit the fan. He initially was just banned from booking with me, as he repeatedly called, emailed, 
and left messages for me at my agency. It quickly went to a blanket ban from our agency. At that point, he started trying to seek providers I work with outside of our agency to avoid our screening and get past the ban. He kept asking if any provider-client relationships ever turned into real ones, and they tried to firmly shut that down. Thankfully, those providers also told me what happened, and our boss sent him an email telling him to knock it off. Then he got angry and threatening. During a back and forth, there seemed to have convinced himself that my boss was preventing me from responding to him and that it was all her fault. But this... And it seemed like she got through to him. I didn't hear from him at all up until two weeks ago. He showed up under a new name for an appointment with me. I'm not sure if he was waiting for a strategic opportunity, but the only reason I opened the door was because it was raining that night and he was using his umbrella to block his face. Under any other circumstances, I would have never opened the door. Because of the rain, I stepped out to hold the door open while he squeezed inside me with his umbrella. So when he lowered it and I saw who he was, I stepped back, and that put me outside the door with him trying to block my way back in. Fuck me for trying to be courteous, right? He kept saying that he wanted to apologize in person and that he just needed the opportunity and then asked me to not screw it up for him with the other girls. That was particularly insulting. He is the one who is screwing up his chances because of his terrifying actions. I just kept telling him that he had to leave over and over and over again until he finally left. He tried to hug me as I squeezed past him, but I mostly dodged it. He had taken the time to make a new identity and see outside providers so that one would give him a reference that would get him through our screening and wouldn't be flagged with any of his old band information. This terrifies me. The time that he had made the new account with us was around the time we banned him in the first place. I thought he had moved on and let things go, but it turns out he literally never stopped obsessing and trying to find a new way to get to me. I have felt unsafe taking on any new clients since then. This has been an incredibly detrimental impact on my mental health as well as an impact on my bottom line since I felt unsafe taking on new clients. After he showed up, he sent me a lengthy email that further demonstrated his detachment from reality. He still thought we could have a relationship and cemented my fears even more. The next step for me may be a restraining order. I worry about how he would respond and escalate. I never thought he would stop me for months, so clearly I can't trust that he won't do something worse. Out of concern for his safety, I tried to end things gently, but at this point, it may need to be reinforced that I want nothing to do with him and I never have. I would never and will never want to spend time with him without being paid to do so. And not even that anymore. I do not like him sexually, and it is my skill at my job that allowed me to find some small common ground with him, not any true connection or friendship. I'm trying to get in contact with his psychiatrist so that maybe he can intervene medically before I get the law involved. My Stalker Became My Roommate's Boyfriend by Gemma Darling This happened years ago, but still affects me to this day. I apologize for the length, but I feel like I have to tell the whole story. 
The summer after I graduated high school, I was still living at home. I was up late one night and was packing for a camping trip with my friends. It was unbelievably hot and I had the window open as I sat in folded clothes. It was around 2 in the morning and the next thing I know, there was a hand coming through the gap in the screen of my window. I screamed and the hand flew back out. I was stunned, but there was a part of me that wondered if it was my younger brother pranking me. I got up and I looked out the window and just saw the figure of a man staring back at me. I ran into my brother's room and he was there playing video games. We called the police who came and searched the area. They found nothing, warned me and my parents to lock the windows and the doors, and then they left. We were all still shaken up and my mom had a feeling that he would come back. It turns out her mother's intuition was right. She went outside and waited on our back porch. After 20 minutes or so, she saw a man, dressed in black, slink into our backyard along the tree line. There wasn't a fence on that side, unfortunately. He hid behind a tree for a few seconds and ran to another tree and then hid there, slowly working his way towards my window. My mother yelled something to him and he took off running. The police came back and again found no trace of him. I never opened that window again, not even the curtains. My parents installed some motion detecting lights and that seemed to be the end of that. About six months later, my friend and I got an apartment downtown together. We were really excited as this was our first place on our own. The apartment wasn't exactly the best quality, but it was fun to be living in the city. The downside was that it was street parking only. After a few weeks, my car was broken into. Nothing was taken, but a single rose sat on the passenger seat. It was creepy, but I vowed to be vigilant and safe. I always tried to park close to the entrance near the lights, but often it was difficult to get to those spots and I would often have to park further away on darker streets. Things quickly began escalating at this point. My car was broken into at least once a week. Most of the time, a flower was left, which I always threw on the ground. But once, a pair of men underwear was left, and even more creepily, once a bag of Tootsie Rolls, as they were my favorite candy. This made me wonder if the person knew me personally, and I started to become suspicious of everyone. There was laundry in the basement of the apartment, and one day I went down to get a load that finished drying. As I started to fold, I realized all of my undergarments, bras, and panties were gone. Another week, I had a male friend over from school, and his tires got slashed during the visit. By the time the first letter arrived, I had already started making plans to move elsewhere. The letter described a love for me that had been going on for years. He noted things that proved he had been watching me very closely. I was able to arrange for another friend to take over my lease and I moved in with another friend on the other side of the city. It was a secured building and had an underground parking garage that was only accessible to the tenants. I felt much more secure and the extra money was well spent. Things were quiet for a few months and then my roommate got a boyfriend. Most of us were weary of Ashley's new boyfriend from the very beginning. For one, they met on MySpace after he reached out to her. Another reason was that that new boyfriend, Matt, was extremely good looking. And while Ashley was a wonderful person, she just wasn't the type you would typically expect someone like him to date. Ashley was thrilled. She had never had a boyfriend and really felt like he was her Prince Charming. 
I thought he was creepy and weird from the beginning. Matt was on the quiet side and always seemed to be sporting an uncomfortable, leering smile. It was difficult to carry on any sort of conversation with him because he would always make it weird with some random facts that were completely unrelated to what we were talking about. I had deleted my MySpace when the initial stalking began, but I created a dummy account to learn more about Matt. It didn't look like he really knew any of his friends in real life. There were only pictures of himself and the rest of the information was vague. My friends and I gently tried to discourage Ashley from seeing Matt. He technically hadn't done anything wrong, but he was just so strange. She would immediately get defensive and would shut the conversation down. Matt started to spend more time at the apartment, and I found myself making any excuse I could to avoid coming home. One day, I came home from work and found Matt on my couch, alone, drinking a beer. Ashley had been called into work, and she told him that he could just hang out. I was furious because I didn't want to spend any time with him, so I grabbed a beer and a snack, and I headed off to my room and shut the door. About 30 minutes or so, he knocked on my door and suggested that we watch some TV together and maybe get to know each other because we both loved Ashley. I didn't want to, but I decided that maybe I needed to give it a try. He put on a movie, and I tried to just focus on the movie because I didn't want him to talk. At one point, I looked over to Matt, and he was just staring at me with a smile on his face. I snapped a what at him, and he just continued smiling and said, I just can't believe it. Believe what, I asked. He said nothing, and we went back to watching the movie, still smiling. I had no idea what he was talking about, but the interaction had every hair standing up on my body. I excused myself and locked the door to my room. Another month or so went on, and I had managed to avoid being home for much anything beyond sleep and showering. Matt practically lived there and had even brought a bunch of his things into Ashley's room. I really didn't want to move again, but was beginning to look for other options. On their six-month anniversary, I saw a huge bouquet of flowers on the table and an already open card propped up next to it. I rolled my eyes and was about to leave when I decided to see what the weirdo wrote to her. When I opened the card, my heart started beating through my chest. Without even reading the words he wrote, I was shaking. The handwriting was exactly the same as the one my stalker had sent. I had kept them as evidence and dug them out of my desk for comparison. The handwriting was unique and identical. Matt was the stalker. I called the police first. As they were on the way, I called Ashley and asked her to come over. She was at work, but she said she would be there as soon as she could. I was terrified to tell her because I knew she would be shattered. The police took a statement from me and eventually went to Ashley's work to get more information from her, and they ended up breaking the news. Apparently, Ashley called Matt and left a furious message, even though the cops told her not to say anything, and he completely disappeared after that. There was no Matt or anyone matching his resemblance at the place he said he had been working. Ashley had never been to his apartment because he said he had been staying with friends while trying to save for money for a trip to Europe. His family lived out of state, and she never met a friend of his because he said that they had a falling out because he was choosing to spend so much time with Ashley. It was all lies, and in the end, she was dating a stranger. 
We don't even know if Matt was his real name. The cherry on top of this whole thing was when we went through Matt's things, he had left everything when he disappeared and Ashley and I decided to go through everything. There was a duffel bag that was full of gym clothes, but in one of the compartments there was a, there was about 10 pictures of me. All were taken from far away, with the exception of the one of me sleeping. The sheets were current, so I know it had to have been at the current apartment before I started locking my bedroom door. A few pictures dated back to before the incident at my parents' house, which made us link that it was him as well. Two pairs of my missing underwear were there, and I shuddered to think what he did with the rest. A Starbucks lid with my red lipstick marks, a necklace I hadn't even noticed missing, and a few other random sick souvenirs. The police never tracked him down. I decided to accept an opportunity overseas that I had been considering and got the hell out of there. Unfortunately, Ashley and I quickly drifted apart. She had a really hard time accepting that her first love was a complete psycho. I think I had some underlying anger, maybe misplaced, for believing all of his lies and letting him into our lives. I don't know what his endgame was. Would he have tried to hurt me, or was he simply content with being in my world? I'll never know. Being stalked changes you. Even when I live across the world, I looked over my shoulder everywhere I went. I still have no social media accounts attached to my real name. I am married with children and know that he moved on to torment some other poor woman. But every time I visit my hometown, I am tense and keep a low profile. Part of me will always worry that Matt will resurface again. Ex-Beauty Queen Stalker by Throwaway Glitterbomb This is a long story, as it's been over five years in the making. I've actually posted this story before. There are some really good internet sleuths here on Reddit, and they were able to figure out Ex-Beauty Queen's identity and mine. I don't really care if I give up my identity, but didn't want it to be on my actual account, so I deleted it a while back. The catalyst for me to repost this today on a throwaway is that it's cathartic. Last week, yet another court date for ex-Beauty Queen Stalker came and went. We'd been expecting things to proceed with her entering a plea of guilty or not guilty, but no such luck. All we got was another vague reason as to why she's not ready and a new court date issued months from now. There have been many court dates since she has been arrested. It's been over 18 months since she's been arrested for her continued stalking and harassment, and she still wants to drag things on to seemingly try to stay relevant in our lives. As a side, the amount of court resources and taxpayers' money that's wasted is actually really astounding. Anyway, on to the story. To recap, my husband dated a beauty queen title holder of a well-known pageant before me. They broke up long before we met. She was a status quo blonde, very tall, a knockout in her day in my opinion. This is somewhat important to the story, I guess. But while she was a dazzling pageant winner on the outside, on the inside, oh boy. She could be charming and beautiful if she needed you, but mostly, she treated people around her terribly including my husband, and he eventually broke it off with her. But she never went away. She would continue to call and email repeatedly, even after my husband and I met. If anything, her calls increased. She would call over and over again, day and night, 
even after my husband, then boyfriend, blocked her number. She would ask for money and threatened to go to the police claiming he abused her if he didn't give it to her. He obviously did not give her the money. This made her very upset. The threats increased and became more malicious. But when that didn't work, she would switch tactics and try and sweetly ask for him with help with certain projects she was trying to get off the ground. Or more accurately, have him do the work for her and she take the credit. With the promise that, if he did just this one last thing for her, she would go away. He did not reply, so she would go back to being malicious. Any tactic for attention, or for what she really wanted, money. My husband was terrified, because of course, while he never did anything to her, it would be her word over his, and he was terrified of ruining his reputation and career. We unfortunately ended up at an event that she was also attending. She had been waiting for us to arrive and had placed herself near the entrance of the event. As we walked in, she stood across the room, looking me up and down, laughing and whispering into the ear of her date, making a point to try to make me uncomfortable. But that was okay. She was easily ignored until she ambushed me as I came out of the bathroom. She had clearly been waiting for a moment that I was alone. She towered over me. She is very tall. I had no intention of having it out with her. As I hurriedly walked to find my husband, but she kept pace with me, hunched over so she was at my eye level, and I'm like 5'5". Five five. Her head turned towards me. She was like a character of herself, and she ambled beside me, smiling maniacally. Where is your man? She hissed in her heavy accent. Her eyes, black. She looked like a character out of a Tim Burton movie, hunched over with that crazy demonic smile. Watch your back, pug, she added, grinning. You like to call me names like Pug because I own Pugs and I guess she thought this was an insult. What I didn't know then well, what I didn't know then was while I was in the bathroom, she had walked over to my husband and thrown her arm around him while he was in mid-conversation with someone and introduced herself to the man he was talking to as if she and my husband were together. My husband unwrapped himself from her clutches and told her to beat it. She then beelined and waited for me to come out of the washroom. We stopped going to the parties. The last time we ran into her was at a funeral for a mutual friend. She followed me around at the wake. As my husband, then boyfriend, was talking to the man's widow, I was talking to a friend and his wife. She walked right up and stood with us, joining us mid-conversation as if she were a part of the group. It was unnerving, but also just bizarre. It was a funeral, and I didn't want to make a scene. I silently picked my wine glass up off the bar and walked away, leaving her with the couple I had been speaking to and her staring at me with a smirk on her face. All in all, annoying, but manageable. However, the emails, calls, they never stopped. She would call my husband over and over, day and night, even though he had long blocked her number. She would drive by. I found my car keyed one night after I left it outside, but obviously I couldn't prove that it was her. But enough was enough. My husband had a lawyer send a cease and desist. After the first time, after the first time, she called him from a private number. He answered, and she said, Hi, it's me, in a sing-song voice like they were the best of friends, and he hadn't just sent her a lawyer's letter ordering her to stay away from him and his family. He said nothing and hung up. Another cease and desist was sent, then a third. So, she decided to take her rage to the internet. I know that she was absolutely checking out my social media account, but I don't really use it that much, so I don't care. 
However, she created a fake Twitter account and tweeted, Usman's name is a fraud and tagged his colleagues, his friends, investors, and family members. Every single person she could think of to try to ruin his reputation and career. On New Year's Eve, she posted on my Instagram account at exactly 12.01 a.m. Happy New Year, scrud. So our social media settings were all put to private. We went to the police armed with the emails threatening to give her money or she would go to the police. She was charged with two counts of harassment and a restraining order was put into place. To our shock, the next day after her arrest, our phones were buzzing. The story had made the front page news. Clearly, it was a slow news day. Her day in court came right before COVID. We arrived to the courthouse and sat down. She walked in. We were shocked by her appearance. Actually, shocked is an understatement. She was unrecognizable from her former self. Gone was the status quo dazzling blonde. She apparently had shaved her head and was wearing a short, ratty brown wig. She gained about 80 pounds, give or take, and was now sort of hunched. With her height and her new girth, she looked like a linebacker. To add to her new look, she wore a bulky brown's men's overcoat and a scarf tied over her wig like a babushka. My immediate thought was, her outside now matches her inside. But it was her eyes that I noticed the most. About a year earlier, we had shown a photo of her to our kids so that if she ever approached them, they knew to run. At the time, my son, who was young, commented that she had mean eyes. It may be it was that she had changed so much physically overall, but her dark eyes had narrowed into deep black slits. As she scanned the courtroom and saw us in court, she would turn around every so often to look back at us and glare. She would then whisper in her lawyer's ear and laugh as if she were having a grand time. She had a pair of big, round, cheap sunglasses that she would put on and take off intermittently. When she addressed the judge, she put them on, and he asked her to remove them. We thought she was putting on a brave face and treating it like a joke, but we were all about to find out that getting arrested wouldn't slow her down. The restraining order didn't seem to face her at all. If anything, it angered her more. From then on, every day, night and day, she would post from multiple fake social media accounts, posting photos of myself, of my husband. She would put up my husband's photo with the caption, pedophile, or other terrible names that included racist and transphobic comments and captions. To give you a slight idea, she posted altered pictures of my husband, photoshopped to look like he was wearing heavy makeup and referring to him as pre-op transgender. She posted altered and unflattering photos of myself. She called me old and ugly, and those are the G-rated ones. Listen, I'm no beauty queen myself. The name-calling, while obsessive and gross, wasn't what bothered me most. Why did I keep looking? Because it was like getting a glimpse into her unraveling mind, just in case it was a clue of what she was capable of or was going to do next. Because it wasn't her insulting post that faced me. What bothered me the most were the sinister captions, like, keep an eye on your kids because I'd be watching, or, why don't you plant some flowers in your front yard, or, be good to your kids because you never know what could happen. She would post pictures of me with an arrow directed to my head, which I perceived to be a gun to my head. 
She posted pictures of my husband's workplace, which she was not allowed to be within two blocks of in accordance with the restraining order, but the police said she could have got these from the internet. She posted Agatha Christie quotes like, Every killer is usually someone you know well, or your end is near. Her Twitter profile banner picture was taken from a movie poster and said, Stalker, like she was in on the joke. We called the police again, but they said there wasn't anything that they could do since she didn't explicitly tag us. I took screenshots of everything. Many of her posts were nonsensical, but most were photos posted of us on this fake account. All altered with derogatory or ominous captions, but we couldn't get her shut down. I became anxious any time my kids were outside shooting hoops in the driveway. My elderly mother wouldn't take the baby out in the stroller. She was too scared. It affected all of our lives. Life became dramatic. Ex-beauty queen would taunt us with, Catch me if you can. She posted close-ups of her dog's genitals or a piece of her dog shit with my name beside it. The implication, obvious. It bothered me that she now had a dog, since I didn't think someone like her was capable of caring for anything living. Then the call started back up, this time to our home line. Yeah, we still have a home line. Bitch, and then hang up. Karma will get you, and then a weird chant like calls, as if she were reciting a spell. Sure enough, she posted photos of pentagram and candles and some sort of altar and the caption, ring ring. Finally, finally, the police asked us to come in and give video statements. We gave them a drive containing thousands of screenshots of posts she had made. They arrested her again and charged, and charged her with two more counts of criminal harassment. My husband was angry at this point, but as Mama Bear, I wanted to get this over with. She mentioned the kids frequently and ominously many times in her online rants, also calling them rude names which I won't repeat here because these are the things that upset me the most. The judge also issued a social media ban for her. By the time she was rearrested for the second time, her fake Twitter account, which was literally mostly insults or references to my family, had 16,000 tweets in a three-month period. She has no followers, so they were all just to herself. The porn sites I had been continuously being tagged on stopped. Things quieted down tremendously, but I still get follow requests that believe that I am her. But at this point, we were all on edge. I kid you not. I felt weird walking into my kitchen at night to make a sandwich, feeling creeped out that she was outside watching. I put nothing past this woman, as nothing is more dangerous than a desperate woman who has nothing to lose, which, by the way, was one of the quotes that she used. I don't know what's wrong with her. I believe, from what I've researched, she is a malignant narcissist. Perhaps some other mental issues at play here, but I can say she was a terrible person long before she decided to try to make our lives miserable. Crazy beauty queen turned stalker. I would love nothing more than to never meet again. But if going to court helps you stay away from us forever, then bring it. As a side, I wanted to mention that we heard from a reliable source that after my husband broke up with her, she allegedly became known to police for other reasons, while my husband dodged a bullet regarding her threats to go to the police, saying he abused her. Apparently, other men may have not been so lucky. 
Since I can't post pictures, I'll leave you with one of her posts. One that may not make much sense, but to us, it was a statement to let us know she enjoys this drawn-out court process. Many of her posts are in her native language, so this is translated. Violent women, and their cruelest, never answer questions. They like to continue the misunderstanding indefinitely. So I seek to contact people only in order to torment them. My cruelty is my last attachment to the world and my last sheik. Ten Years a Stalker by Arya Sage XX It was the fall of 2007 and I was 15 living in New York. I was a competitive athlete in high school the type who got up before school for workouts and trained for long hours after. With recruiting season a year away, I was under tremendous pressure to perform in my sport, as well as in the classroom. I was struggling to keep up in calculus at the time, so my mom suggested I get a tutor. She made an appointment with a teacher friend of hers who really knew his stuff. I'd been going to him regularly, probably three times a week for a month, before I met Alex. Alex had the tutoring session after mine, and we'd cross paths every week. It had never been more than a glance and a smile, but I was incredibly shy and terrified of boys. He was tall and blonde with piercing blue eyes, so naturally, I thought he was cute. One day, my tutor had to change his schedule and decided to book us together. As we were learning the same topics in calculus, I was shocked and delighted when Alex started chatting with me afterwards and asked for my phone number. I had never had a boy pay attention to me in that way, and I was flattered that someone that cute wanted my number. Eventually, Alex and I began dating. Alex went to Catholic school in another town, but because he lived in the same town as I did, he took the bus every morning from my school to his. This gave us most mornings together, and he was able to meet my friends. I was a little taken aback when they didn't take to him like I did. They mentioned him seeming weird and I got super defensive, but let it go. I realized that I'd been spending less time with them than I normally did and assumed that they were just jealous that I had a boyfriend. As time went on, things got more serious. We started experimenting sexually and eventually I lost my virginity to him in the back of his Ford Escape. That's when things began to change. While Alex and I always talked regularly, he started getting over the top about staying in contact with me. He would make me stay on the phone with him all hours of the night until eventually my mom started taking my phone before I went to sleep. This relationship also started taking a toll on my athletic career. I was too tired to spend my extra time training and started skipping my practices to see him, driving 30 minutes each way to his school. Eventually, my friends sat me down and told me how unhealthy this relationship had become. I had isolated myself from them, and my entire free time was spent with Alex. At this point, I wanted so badly to end the relationship. I had fallen out of love with Alex, and college applications were approaching. I had been scouted by no less than 10 colleges, and my plan was to attend Brown, my dream school. Alex's obsession with our relationship had taken a huge toll on his grades, and Brown wasn't going to be an option for him. I remember when I told him that was where I was planning to go, and he freaked out, saying he would never get in there and begging me not to go. 
At the time, I was also recruited by the University of Illinois. Alex applied there in hopes that I would ditch Brown and go to Illinois with him. That was the final straw for me. I ended things for good with Alex, assuming that would be it. Because Alex would take the bus from my school to his every morning, I still had to see him. I remember walking into school past him and his classmates who took the bus with him and some of his guy friends yelled slut and whore at me. Apparently, he had spread a rumor that I cheated on him with a bunch of guys and and then ended it with him. I ignored it until I started getting Facebook messages from random people at his school. I spent months getting nasty messages from guys at his school accusing me of having STDs and telling me I was going to get gangbanged by his friends. Eventually, I had to delete my Facebook because it wouldn't stop. I think deleting my Facebook was what set off the stalker tendencies for Alex. He wasn't able to see my face online, so he started calling nonstop and sending desperate AIM messages telling me he loved me. While this was going on, I was the favorite to win the high school championship in my sport. I'd gone undefeated all season. Alex ended up showing up while I was competing for the championship, and I saw him there. It shook me so badly that I ended up losing the title. I was furious and heartbroken. I ended up picking up his call that night and screamed at him, telling him to never contact me again. That's when the threats began. I got a call a few nights later from Alex. After he texted me, he had something important to tell me. Stupidly, I answered. He began to tell me how he was going to kill me. He was going to show up at my house when my parents were at work with a rope and a knife and make me suffer like I had done to him. I started to cry, and he eventually went on to say that he was going to get me before I went into school because he knew exactly where I parked every morning and my parents were never going to find me. At this point, I had decided to record what was being said and had taped it on my phone. I hung up once I felt he had said enough. The next morning, I went into school extra early, much earlier than I figured he'd be there. I showed my advisor the recording, who then called my mom. I remember feeling a deep-rooted shame as my mom listened to the recording, like I had done something to bring this on myself. My advisor was so alarmed by the recording that he advised me to go to the police. This day still feels very surreal for me. My mom and I sat in the police station all day, explaining the story of my relationship with Alex and how it got to this point. The police then drove to his high school and arrested him while he was in class. The topper on the day, though, the topper on the day though was when I went out to bring food back to the police station for my mom and I. I pulled into the station at the same time as the car holding Alex did. I saw him in cuffs, and he indeed looked like he wanted to kill me. Post-arrest, I got a restraining order against Alex, and he was sent to a mental institution for a short while. He ended up breaking the restraining order on more than one occasion. I contacted the police, but they didn't think it was cause to do anything. I think it's important to note that Alex's family was wealthy and had a name in the area, so it wouldn't have surprised me if that's the reason they brushed it under the rug. I ended up attending Brown and had to inform them of the restraining order and let them know that Alex should not be allowed on campus. It's been over 10 years since this has happened, and I still continue to receive friend requests and phone calls from him on occasion. 
I recently moved across the country from where this occurred. I finally feel safe now that I am far from where he lives. But anytime I get a block call or a text from a number I don't know, a thought goes through my head that it's him. It's safe to say that this experience has completely changed who I let into my life and who I choose to date. I hope that you have enjoyed this longer episode of the show. Next week's show will be focusing on stories about parties. If you have any terrifying tales that happened at or after a party and you would like them to be featured, please send them to me at unwelcomeshadows at gmail.com. If you wouldn't mind taking the time to share this podcast with people who would also like to hear real-life bone-chilling tales. Until the next time, the shadows await.